why don't we have an organization that can throw up a couple pictures and put some awesome stuff on there and how much, how much money comes from, you know, tag sales or whatnot and what that goes to, or, or all the meat, like the metric ton of meat that's provided through people hunting wild game and actually how many plates on, on dinner tables that's providing there's, there's this great info. I mean, we have science, we have data, we have, you know, all of that. Why aren't we trying to throw that into the mix to the non-hunting public to get a few of them to either say, huh, I've never seen that perspective before. Where do I find out more about that? Wow. You can eat bear meat. I didn't know that. These are stories of outdoor adventure and expert advice from folks with calloused hands. I'm James Nash, and this is the Six Ranch Podcast. The Six Ranch Podcast is brought to you by Sig Sauer. SIG is a leading provider and manufacturer of firearms, electro-optics, ammunition, air guns, and suppressors. For over 250 years, SIG Sauer Inc. has evolved and thrived by blending American ingenuity, German engineering, and Swiss precision. Today, SIG Sauer is synonymous with industry-leading quality and innovation, which has made it the brand of choice amongst the U.S. military the global defense community, law enforcement, competitive shooters, hunters, and responsible citizens. Sig Sauer is also a premier provider of elite firearms instruction and tactical training at the Sig Sauer Academy located in New Hampshire. For more information about Sig Sauer and its complete line of products, visit SigSauer.com. You have such a distinguished name. Do you think of your name as distinguished? Distinguished? No, I I wouldn't use that word. Um, I would say it's even though it it kind of means the same thing. I just wouldn't use distinguished because that sounds better. <laughs> um, I would say it's definitely different. Um, uh, Whit, well, I've thought about changing it to Whitman because everybody just says Whitman. Yeah, you know if they don't know me, right? Um, I get letters all the time, Charles Whitman, because Whitwam is not not common mm-hmm. at all. Uh, I don't know. I mean, we have a, I've done a little research. It used to be Whittem. Okay. When people move to the United States or Canada or whatever, they like take a letter out of their name. Right. For <laughs> strange reasons, but, um, it was Whittem, W-H-I-T-W-H-A-M. And now it's W-H-I-T-W-A-M and I guess pronounced Whitwam. So yeah. it's a cool name. It sounds like you should be like managing a school for mutants or something like that. <laughs> I like that. I'm cool with that, actually. Yeah. <laughs> French Canadian. Um, my family moved from England in that era, but they went to they went to Canada, and then I guess and from obviously some people from France too. But um, I don't know where it changed. I'm not sure exactly what happened there, but yeah. that, that French influence in New England um, is much more prevalent than I ever understood. You know, a lot of the signs are French. Um, there's, there's sort of an expectation that, that if you live there, that you can understand some of that stuff, a lot of, you know, French accents and French speaking people. And it makes sense with their proximity to, to Quebec. Um, but it's just not something that I'd really thought about. And I was just out there 
a few weeks ago for some guide training and uh and for a hunt that we were filming and uh yeah there's just french-speaking people everywhere and you were you were in quebec i wasn't in quebec i was in new england i was in new hampshire and maine oh okay yeah Yeah. it's it's definitely a whole different different world out there and obviously they're so close to to canada so close to the border it really does uh, kind of sort of the same thing i mean it's the same people it's not yeah. like you're going to a different country when right. you're that when you're that close. Totally. And that's where I grew up. I I grew up where I could snowmobile across I could snowmobile to Canada. Yeah. You know, across Lake Erie. So a, a little a little different exactly where I grew up. There's there's a, a bit more distinction between the two countries, but but certainly, yeah, Maine. I've spent some time in North like Caribou, Maine. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's hey, my friend over in Canada. Yeah, you know, or, or you know, they just live right next door to each other, literally. Sure, and and share, they take part in a lot of the same activities and 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 whatnot. So it's it's much closer. I was on a muzzleloader hunt in Maine a couple years ago now, which was weird. Um, it's something that you know I I don't know what I'm doing with the muzzleloader, and and that <laughs> style of hunting is is very different to me. Out west, I'm used to looking at Onyx a lot to tell where I am or looking at base map or go hunt, whatever. I use all of them. But I don't want to accidentally walk onto somebody's private property. Out there, you can hunt on private property without permission as long as it's not posted. And that's really bizarre. But the reason that I was looking at my map all the time when I was in Maine was to make sure that I didn't accidentally walk into Canada. Mm, Right. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Actually, in a different country. Yeah, I could... You're, you're like 20 yards away from, you know, not having the correct hunting license. Right. See, we, we had a, a giant lake separating us. So we did, well, oh man, you know, we did a lot of fishing and ice fishing out there and you really had to pay attention to what country you were in. Sure. For sure. So we'd just buy, you know, a Canadian fishing license and you don't have to worry about it. But there were, there were certainly times if you're drifting or whatnot and you'd have to, uh, Cause they'll, they'll get you, you know, um, you'd have to, uh, make sure everyone on the boat can fish in Canada. Cause are like, I don't know yeah. where we are. We might be in Canada. We might not be interesting. You know? Yeah. That's my type of crime. I would want to like slip into Canada and then run back to America and be like, ha ha ha. My, uh, kid caught his first fish in Canada. Actually, I think when he was four, we were out ice fishing and the whole lake it wasn't frozen. It generally doesn't freeze over the entire Lake Erie doesn't freeze over anymore, but all the bays and everything do. Mm. So we'll kind of drift through ice flows with a boat, which is a time to, to, to experience <laughs> and uh, wait for it to, you know, kind of break open a little bit and head on over to this bay or whatever. And, ah, oh, it's just so much fun. It's, it's honestly, it's, I don't think people understand. It's, it's kind of like, oh, you just think about ice fishing. And you're like, oh, you're just sitting over a hole. Sometimes that's all it is, but it can also be the adventure getting there. Yeah. You know, and everything, it's the same thing with hunting. You know, if somebody doesn't hunt and they just see a picture of you holding something, they, they don't know what, it, what went into that and an adventure that might've been had or not had or whatever, you know, just, just the whole, the whole nine yards, but ice fishing is a lot of fun. It sure can be. It can be it can real, be. it can be yeah. real miserable too, yeah. but most of the time it's not, it's, it's really fun. And it's, it's a lot more social than most fishing types, I would say, because you're, you're static and I don't know, you can bring some amenities out there with you that you normally can't when you're fishing. Yeah. It's really cool. I had a, 
a really uh, interesting ice fishing trip on Fort Peck in Eastern Montana. And we were out there for a week and it was, you know, in, anywhere between zero and 20 below and, you know, windy a lot of times, windy enough that it would blow my snowmobile across the ice and, you know, just craziness. Some people had died the week before they'd gone, gotten out to a point where the river was flowing it and it had eroded the ice from the bottom and they went through on a side by side. And, hmm. um, yeah, there's a, there's a risk factor there, but I think ice fishing is inherently very safe. I would, I would presume that it's safer than softwater fishing, but, uh, yeah, I was ice fishing another time in Southwest Montana and it was miserably cold. It was closer to 40 below zero. And I walked past a guy on the way out to where I wanted to fish and he was just sitting on a bucket and his hole had completely froze around his line. He's just sitting there with his back to the wind cranking across the ice there. So cold. And, uh, I said, sir, are you doing all right? And he looked up old man, weathered face. And, uh, he goes, I hate my wife. Jeez. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> so a lot. He wasn't even fishing, man. He was out there because that was better than being home. It's like, yeah. holy buckets. Choose wisely. Yeah, he must hate her a lot for sure. <laughs> wow. That's a that's a crazy thing to say. That's a crazy thing to run into. Oh man. I mean, it's comedy, not for him. Yeah. Well, wow. if he can't laugh about it, you run into people like that ice fishing. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. You know, there's guys with their, with their, you know, dark houses, sheds, whatever. And if it's nice out, you're sitting on a bucket or maybe you're spearing, which is so cool when it's, when the lake is, is clear and you can yeah. see everything. Wow. Yeah. How much fun is that? Um, got your tip ups for, for pike or maybe occasional walleye or something. I mean, it, it, when it's going it's fun wow. stuff man yeah oh man yeah we use super these fun. little uh jaw jacker things out here in oregon and we can run five lines on a on a two rod permit so the most uh, rods you can you can ever fish in oregon is two but ice fishing if you have two rod endorsement you can fish five rods um some funky math there but that's how it goes <laughs> um so these jaw jackers are basically a, a fish trap that has your rod preloaded. And as soon as a fish bites it and the rod's allowed to straighten, sets the hook. Right. And it makes kind of a clattering noise because they're made out of some junky Chinese plastic. But if you get a bunch of adults out on the ice, you know, drinking a couple beers and then you hear jaw jackers going off and it's a big scramble of a herd of people to get out across the slick surface to, to get to that fish. That's just good, clean fun. Oh, yeah. Yeah sliding yeah. in i love it <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it's fun to think about i haven't done it in a while but every time people bring up michigan canada or whatever i start thinking of, it's it's so much fun it really is well you don't actually run a school for mutants um so how do you spend <laughs> your time these days these days well recently um i've been spending almost all of my time building this nonprofit how for wildlife yeah i've been working on it for the over a year now but i launched it in january uh other than that i i i do some guiding uh over the past whenever it is that COVID started january 2020 um i did a lot of guiding from then until this past year because okay. i had nothing i had nothing else to do and before that i guess for five years or whatnot i've 
I guide it off and on when I have time. My normal job is seasonal. So I'll generally have five or six months off a year anyway, Yeah, where I hunt or guide or whatnot. It works out great for how for wildlife because bill season, which is generally January through, I don't know, maybe now it's kind of starting to slow down. Um, I have that time off. So I can put a lot of time into how for wildlife nice, and not have to worry about my other job. But my other job is literally starting. It, it had just started this, this past weekend. And now I, I, it's basically nonstop until the end of October. Okay. Yeah. What is the other job? Um, it's called climb on. We do events, um, like corporate events, a lot of city events, but it's, it's rock climbing and zip lining and it's, it's interactives for kids and adults. Some trust building components to that probably a a little bit. Um, yes, actually. Yes. Teamwork. To to me, it doesn't seem like it, but it is, it is to some of the, some of the events that we do, some of the corporate events we do. Cause I guess if it's something you've never done before, it is a, it is a scary thing to do, even though yeah. our, our stuff is, you know, super safe. It's meant for everybody. Yeah. So. People almost never die during your events. No, nobody's ever died <laughs> <laughs> or even gotten hurt. Honestly, it's, oh, that's it's, good. That's a good track record. Yeah. Yeah. I've been doing, I've been doing that since 2006 is, is when I bought the company. Well, we met at Hunt Expo. Um, and I was aware of Howl before that, but I didn't really know what it was. And when I came across your name, I've told you this before, I thought, oh man, here's another like anti-hunting hippie organization. Yeah. Like, great. Just what we need. And it looked like you're gaining steam. And then I saw the content a little bit and I was like, wait, this isn't, this isn't at all what I thought. So tell me a little bit more about what Howl is where it started, um, and where we're at now. So where it started is, is, is still where it's at right now. I have certainly some, some future plans on, on where this is going to go. And, and I think a lot of that has to do with a lot of the name hall for wildlife and not necessarily looking like a hunting organization and maybe even an anti-hunting organization. Um, it's to kind of throw people off, but it's also the direction that we want to go because Mm -hmm. we really want to get the non-hunting public involved in what it is that we're doing. And I don't know what you'd call it. It's a kind of a play on words or whatnot. I mean, it's definitely interesting using wolves. I've believe me, I've heard, I've heard it from everybody. Uh, like, you know, this, this, why are you guys using pictures of wolves? I'm like, well, why can't I, you know, like if you're a hunter, you can't do that. Maybe that's one of the problems, you know, why have we let the other side co-opt? that image or, or whatnot, you know, and, and what's wrong with saying we save wildlife or we protect wildlife. Cause I really think that we do through, uh, through management of, of the species. I really believe that. So even though we kill them, we kill animals. Yes, we do. Um, but I also think we protect animals by keeping them in balance. I think that's humans, uh, one of, one of being a human being, it's one of our roles that we can do because we have intellect, you know, and we can collect data and all that good stuff. Sometimes it doesn't go right. Um, but we can correct things, you know, we're not just based on instinct. So it's a, it's a, it's a recipe. Like, yeah, you know, if you put too much of something in, you can balance that by adding more of, of other ingredients or, you know, 
And I think the idea of, of balance in wildlife management um, leads people to, to thinking that it's like this terrarium where if you get everything just right, then it's a perpetual motion machine and it can function just like that forever. And that's not at all the case. Like it's constantly changing and we need to change with it. And that's by, you know, staying on our toes and continuing to collect that data, making decisions, and then adjusting after we can see the effects of those decisions. But I interrupted you and I apologize for that. Um, no, I mean, you're, you're right on. I, I was just going to, you know, what how for wildlife is, is a, it's a platform where, it's a platform to reach decision makers essentially. So when there are, when there's a bill or a petition or an issue, there's always decision makers involved. And those are the people who are going to be making the decisions uh, surrounding this bill. And so what we've done is we've made it really easy for you to be able to actually reach those decision makers and reach all of them, not just one of them, but reach all of them on a personal basis, not through a form letter, not through, you know, kind of a, a, a cookie cutter letter and not through another organization. Um, it's your email to them. And if there's 86 decision makers, you're sending a different email to every single one of them. They're not CC'd on the same email or anything. And we have it set up where they're also received. You can, you can edit, you can add whatever email you want. So let's just go back. Like, first of all, if there's an issue, and you've ever and you've ever said, all right, well, who do I reach? And then maybe you can find who you reach, but you just see a list of emails. It's going to take time, and people don't people just don't do things that take time. That's right. just the reality of the situation. So we've set it up so when you when you do want to take action and you click, you know, reach these decision makers. Add add your howl is is how we say it, but it's you know you're reaching all these decision makers. Your voice, your email is going to each one of those people. And as those bills change, decision makers change, and that gets updated as well. And you can send whatever email you want to them. So A, we've made it really easy to contact the right people without you having to do that research. Um, B, if, you've, if you haven't known what to write, we have a ton of preloaded, pre-drafted emails that randomize. That, that go to those decision makers. So I don't want it to sound like we're, we're doing anything for you. We're just accomplishing, you know, if, if you don't have time to, you can read the email, you agree with it or not. Right. If you agree with it, you can send that email. Yeah. And then when the next person comes, they actually see another email that's set up. And so they're sending out. So then the decision makers are seeing a ton of different information, different emails, um, it's harder for them to filter it. So it forces them to actually read each one of them. And as well, the subject lines when necessary, it depends on what kind of a bill it is or whatever. The subject lines are randomized as well. Do you understand what I'm saying with that? I, no, to totally. And, I, and I've participated in this. So I know from my perspective, what the process is like. And if there's some kind of issue, like uh, I think... I can't remember which one I got involved in. I think it might've been Hunter Orange in Colorado or something like that. It doesn't matter. So I log on to Howl. I read about the issue. I've done my own research. I understand what the problem is. The problem is that 
in order to prevent hunters from accidentally shooting each other, the state is proposing that everybody wear hunter orange all the time, including um, archery hunters. Like that's dumb. I don't think I really need the government to tell me what color to wear. I'm not into that. Do I archery hunt in Colorado? No. Might I someday? Maybe. But this is still something that that I feel strongly about. So I want to get involved. How do I do that? Go to hell, put my name in, and I read this this email that's really well written. And I agree with everything. And I freaking send that thing. And it goes out to every single person who's going to be making a decision about this subject. And, you know, the whole process for me took, took minutes, whereas before that would have taken me hours, maybe half a day to, to figure out everybody that needed to get that information and then to write the, the stuff up myself and then sound intelligent. That's, that's a really difficult thing. Um, I don't have half a day to, to apply to every single thing that comes up against wildlife or hunting throughout the country. I just don't have that. So, um, yeah, I think it's, it's incredibly smart forward thinking and, and powerful what you're doing and you've seen positive results from this already and you're just getting started. A lot of positive results. Yeah. So back to those emails also, people are getting, it doesn't happen every time, but people are getting responses back from legislators that also aren't canned responses. They are you know, something to the effect of, wow, I really appreciate your stance on this issue. Here's my stance on this issue. Here's what I believe about this bill. Here's my stance on it. So it's really relevant to what you just wrote in. Yeah. And, um, that to my knowledge, people have told me they're like, we've never heard back before whenever we filled out, you know, some of the like just classic kind of form letters. Um, we haven't heard back before from the legislators, maybe, maybe an auto reply or, or something, right. you know, but nothing that's actually personal. And, and some of the responses have actually been, cause people will send them to me like, wow, that was a different response to you than it was to this guy. Right. And even, you know what I mean? So that's, that's interesting. Um, well, that means that legislator has a good aid. They have good. Given, yeah. And, and it's given them good direction. Yep. And it, and it does, it does vary. Um, obviously a lot of it has to do with their staff. Um, I had one in Colorado that she CC'd her staff. She said, Hey, I'd, I'd love to talk to you about this because I didn't realize how complex this issue was. Hmm. And, um, she wanted to talk about the North American model of wildlife and (laughs) that's, you know, that's a relationship right there. Yeah. And, um, so and there's a balance there. There's, there's, uh, there's some, you know, some of these, like say if we're sending emails to a commission, they might have a smaller staff. They're getting inundated with emails and it's like, holy cow. And they're kind of by law supposed to read them all and go right. through them all. Yeah. Uh, so I, you know, I, I'm not trying to be a pain in the ass, but I want to make sure that if hunters want their voices heard, we want to make sure their voices are heard. So we can kind of customize that. I could, for some of the commissions, if I guess if I feel like I trust them, California is a great example, their staff, um, they've impressed me greatly lately. Um, they were getting a lot of emails. I could tell they were a little annoyed. So I'm like, all right, well, what hunters still want to send their emails? You know, how do we, how do we do this? Can I send it to you? Could I send it to you in bulk? 
you know, could I send you a list of, hey, this is what everyone's writing. And then can I just attach a bunch of names to it and send it to you in bulk? But don't get me wrong, you know, like it's not, these are people who want to send these emails, uh, who, who want to get involved. So it's not, you know, don't look at it. It's coming from me. Don't look at it. It's coming from Hall for Wildlife, but you need to, if we do it this way, I want it to be recognized, you know? So when you put out in a report, this is how many comments or emails we received on this issue. Those all need to be counted, you know? So I guess my point there is I'm not, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to be a pain in the ass, <laughs> but at the same time, if I need to be, I will be, yeah. you know, and I'll make it as easy as possible for people to reach anybody. And I mean, and we've, we've done it in Canada as well. And so sort of along the same um, thread is we've set up the same ease to make phone calls. So, and making a phone call is really powerful. I mean, you're actually speaking with somebody, you know, on the phone where, where you don't know what they're going to say back to you. And so you need to be ready for that. But we have a, um, the same kind of process where you push a button and a phone call from our system, a phone number from our system will call your, your phone and basically lead you through prompts. It'll say, look at your, look at your screen and here's some talking points on this issue. And when you're ready, um, push star or something like that. And it connects you with the first decision maker and it'll, it'll connect you with five at a time. So if there's a lot more then you know, you can keep on going down the, the, the line if you want to, but as soon as you push star, it's like ring, ring, ring. And a number that's local to wherever this issue is. So if it's a Oklahoma issue, an Oklahoma number will, will call that decision maker and and you're up and here's your talking points. Um, so you, you speak with them and Genius. thank you very much. And then you can push the button and it goes to the next decision maker. So, and so on and so forth. So we've tried to make that a, a bit more seamless and, and give you something to say if you, if you didn't know, but then what's happening is the more and more people do this. Cause a lot of these issues are repetitive. A lot of it's predator management, right? So mm -hmm. now you're in, you've already done three of these actions and you've read these emails and, and, you know, and it's passed through the house and now it's at a committee and then it's at a Senate and then it's at another committee. These are all new decision makers. So when that happens, it's a new action. So now you have new people to contact. So now you've gone through this and now you're like, well, you know what? I kind of know about this now and okay, I get it. I can write my own personal, you know, I can, I can put my own hunting experience into this or my own um, cultural experience into this or, or whatever it is, that's your story. And now you're emotionally attached to this and you're, and you know how easy it is to reach these people and you can start writing and saying your own things. You don't, you don't need us anymore. Right. You know, like to write things for you, you know, which is great. Yeah. That's education. Yeah. I just got off of a spring bear hunt in Hell's Canyon and we're down there for a week. We had five tags in camp and we filled all the tags. So everybody, everybody got a bear. And then I was fishing one afternoon and a, a guy that uh, recognized my boat pulled up and I'd been watching a bear on the Idaho side and they had an Idaho tag. So went and helped him get that bear. So we pulled six bears out of the Canyon on that trip. What's interesting is this was maybe a week after we got our elk numbers for the area. And we have half as many elk as we did two years ago. Hmm. So 
we can talk, we can, we can blame, we can blame a lot of things. Right. Um, and it tends to be at the state level to blame anything but a predator. And it's not only predators. It's never one thing. It's always complicated, but predators are part of the issue. Pulling six bears out of the Canyon is going to make a big difference on the calf crop for this year. You know, that's, it's amazing probably, by the way, when was this trip recent last week? And you pulled six. <laughs> That sounds like a lot of, that sounds like an adventure anyway. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. But I also spent three days, um, out hiking and, you know, it's just some of the toughest country out there and my stupid self forgot to bring a lighter. Uh, so I had no fire, no ability to, to <laughs> make food, um, or to purify water. So it turned into a little bit of a, of a vision quest for me. And I got to got to think about stuff. I got to think about bear hunting a lot and think about the place that I was in and the people that have lived there and the, the people that will, that will come there in the future. Um, and how just the whole system works and bear hunting. And I think this is true of many, many predators. It means something to everybody. I don't know if you could find a human in the world who is aware of bears and aware of hunting that doesn't have some type of a feeling about it. I think there's a lot of people that don't have any feelings about fishing. They don't have any feelings about shooting a pheasant. It's a lot mm. of people that don't have feelings about shooting deer, mm. but bear hunting means something to everybody. And that's mm. incredible. Mm -hmm. Well, it's gotta be, is that anthropomorphism? Is that, is that just, you re, you know, like, is that because there's cuddly bears and as, even as growing up or something, maybe you had a stuffed animal and uh, probably it was a bear. Winnie the Pooh. Uh, is that why? Because we relate to them like that is, is more of a, I don't know, a, char a character that. But even, even before that in, in indigenous cultures, bears mm. were, a, were a spiritual animal. You're right. Um, you know, and even if you go to different continents, people have feelings about bears those so they're a special, they're a special yeah. creature. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. And those feelings can really prevent us from thinking clearly about a subject on both sides. Um, and that's, that's why it's so important for as many people who care to get their voice out there and let somebody know why they care. And it's a powerful thing to, to give people a voice who haven't had one in the past because they, it means something to them. Um, and they just might not have the tools to be able to say what, what it means. And I, I commend you uh, very much for creating this because it's, it's a genius and it's helpful and it's effective. Well, I appreciate that. It's, it's, it's based on my involvement in previous bills and just seeing gaps just seeing gaps in the process and me trying to figure it out. Like, come on, this is 2000. Yeah. I feel like we're living in the, you know, the late nineties, like we're trying to reach these people the way that we would in the late nineties. And before there's a lot of things out there we can do to, to make this, yeah. to make this way simpler. And the funny thing about it to me is that I, I was the person to do it. it that's, what's really crazy to me. Cause I'm not, I mean, I love technology. I love computers and whatever, but I'm not a developer. I'm not a code writer. I'll dabble in it, but mostly it's I'll find somebody 
so they can bring my idea to life and then show me how to do it because I want to know how to do everything. And then, and then I'll go from there. But it is what it is. I'm, I'm surprised. I'm surprised that nobody has done this before. But there are, I, that's, that's wrong. People have done this before. It's, I, I don't know to exactly to what success, but I've seen this in um, ultra progressive and anti hunting, ultra progressive campaign, political campaigns. Um, that's where I learned a lot of, of a lot of how to set this up and, um, and anti-hunting orgs. So they use these same techniques, right? I, I kept hearing hunters never show up to commission meetings. Okay. Well, um, maybe why, how come they didn't show up to commission meetings? What was it? Oh, cause we have jobs and all those anti-hunters, they don't have jobs. Eh, I doubt that, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I, I don't think that's what it is. Um, you're probably scared to show up yeah. because you don't know the process and it's nerve wracking. It is for me. I've never done this before, but I, I, I've surrounded myself with a small group of people who um, I like to surround myself with smart people. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, it's one of the things I'm trying to do with Hal for Wildlife is just where's all the smart people out there who can, who can write really well, who can provide content, who can, um, you know, enunciate these ideas. Um, and then who understand the process with, with a commission or, um, you know, how it works. So then when we want, so when that, so then when I come to you and say, Hey, how do we get, cause now we have, I'd have to do a count, but I know it's, it's well over 600, um, since we started between Washington, Arizona and, in California, I guess there's Colorado too. I haven't counted that, but we've had over 600 hunters be involved in commission meetings now since, since then. That's huge. So what I mean is, is speaking yeah. to, the, to the, to the various commissions. Yeah. So before, back to my point before I heard this a lot when we lost hound hunting in California, that was in I think it was in 2012. We lost it in 2013, but the decision make, was made in 2012. Um, everyone said, all the orgs said and everything, hunters didn't show up. You know, we'd be at the meetings and there'd, there'd be X number of anti-hunters and there'd be like three, three hunters. Like, okay, if you think that makes a difference, like if, if this is a, a mob, a mob rule thing, um, which it, it does make a difference. It's, it's not... I would hope decisions aren't made off of, you know, how many people show up, but it does, it does sway the conversation a bit. I think, I think it gives respect to the conversation, at least to, to one side or the other. Um, so, all right, well, let's make it easy. How, what is it that we think hunters, well, how come they're not showing up? Probably because they don't know what to say. They don't know the process and, um, and maybe they feel like they'll be the only person that shows up. Well, let's fix that. And we're doing a really good job with that right now. Yeah. And that's only building and, and more people are getting involved like in wildlife resource committees, which is where kind of the sort of the gloves off, you know, roll your sleeves back um, ideas get put out to, to, to commissions and different proposals that hunters can have. Um, it's kind of, it's, it's the same thing that humane society, the humane society submits petitions. They want to do this. They want to do this. They want to do that. And I'm sitting here going, well, wait a second. Why, 
why can't we propose stuff? Why can't we have them on their heels? Sure. You know, um, why can't we have them spending resources to fight what a bunch of hunters and hunting orgs have, have put together that what they want in, in a state. And here's a good example of that. A lot of states have what's called a right to hunt and it's in mm. their state's, um, their state constitution. And that guarantees that the residents of that state have a legal right to hunt. There's a lot of states that don't. Um, we're, we're one of them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We have a right to fish. Here. Yeah. Which is, yeah. which is great. That, that's yeah. a lovely thing. But yeah. that is an example of something that we can be working on driving towards that somebody would have to fight against us if they didn't want that to exist. Um, and if they didn't want that to exist, they'd have to come up with some really compelling reasons. Um, and I don't feel good about hunting isn't compelling enough. Uh, and what you're talking about with the, the, the weight of demographic one way or another, who shows up to commission meetings, there's a lot that goes into that in Oregon, uh, commission meetings allow you to speak for 90 seconds, two minutes, something like that. Depends on how many people show up generally. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's usually only one meeting a year that is within an eight hour drive of where I live. So driving 16 hours to speak for 90 seconds is, is a burden. It, that, that, that's a burden on me. So I need a better way to communicate because that's not realistic. I can't do that. I certainly can't do it every month. So people end up, you know, coming up with excuses to not do that. And then relying on the same people, you know, whether you have a lobbyist for your hunters association or, or through Oregon outdoor council or some something like that, those commissioners want to see new faces and they want to hear new voices. If they're hearing from the same person time and time again, it becomes a dial tone. They're like, yeah, we know where you stand on this. Thanks. You just burned 90 seconds of my life that I'll never get back. Mm -hmm. So it, it's incredibly important for people to attend these things, um, but it's also not feasible. And that's why other forms of communication are so important because Rural voices need to be heard. And there's a big divide in these Western states between how many people hunt in rural places versus urban places. And we just have to be honest about that. Well, and Zoom has been most of all those commissions um, that I've spoke about, uh, Washington, California, Arizona, and Colorado, they've all included Zoom as a as the method of, of, of speaking to the commission. So you can be there in person. Well, up until recently, you couldn't be there in person. I didn't even know that. That's awesome. Yeah. 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 So they have virtual, virtual speaking, you get your 60 seconds, 90 seconds, whatever. Um, and that's been huge. And, and now that things are in person, it's, it's a hybrid version. So they, they go to, uh, whoever is there gets to speak first in person, and then they go to zoom. Nice. And, I, I mean, I think it's a little more powerful if you can be there. Of course. Um, but it's very powerful if you can give any, any type of public testimony. And again, it's getting you, and this works for both sides, getting you emotionally invested in the process. And what's, what's happening, you know, especially with this humane society thing in, well, they're everywhere, but in California, Hunters are really picking apart that petition. They're learning more about the petition that they submitted. They're taking, mm, 
speeches from other states and other commissions that the Humane Society, uh, that their representatives say, and kind of they're contradicting each other. We're just like picking, we're picking the whole thing apart and, and really making this a, um, number one, when they present science, that has been for the most part, completely shut down by actual science, right? right. Now, emotions come in and come into play and some commissions recognize social science as being maybe even just as powerful. Yeah. You know, which, uh, which is a, sorry, my dog jumping on me here. Oh, you should never have to apologize for a dog <laughs> jumping on you. Um, which is, I, I think, unfortunate when you have state Washington state's a perfect example. When you have your own state's wildlife biologists give a presentation, this is their job to collect this data. And they give a pre presentation on the state of bear in, the, in, in Washington, um, population numbers. Um, it, every, they're basically answering everything that, that, has been, that has been asked. And, and then you might have commission members that say, well, we believe in a different form of science. Yeah. Um, which, it's just yeah. kind of a bit fraudulent. If you ask me, I, I'm just like, hold on. You're, you're on a, a wildlife, your state's wildlife commission where, so now you've made it where the, this is the, a discussion on is hunting right or wrong is hunting legal or not. Can people come to the commission to discuss not the already legal aspects of, of hunting that exist in your state? And discuss that from that from that base. It's now is hunting right or wrong? Like that's that's what these commissions have become. That's kind of what happened in in Washington State with the majority of the commissioners, um, and that was really unfortunate. We don't really have to get into that, but in California, they really stuck to the science, and they explicitly said to the Humane Society, "This is not the place to come." because your end goal is just, you just want to end hunting. They asked them that. They said, okay, what if we show you the science? What if you knew, you believed unequivocally that there's 50,000 bear in California, which now we know there just might be. They were saying there's nine to 15,000, which, which indicated a, a decline because of climate change and, and wildfires. So one of the commissioners asked, what if the Humane Society realizes there's 50,000 bear where you Will you leave this alone? Because you based your petition on science. And the answer was, no, we're never going to support bear hunting. So it's not about the science. Because bear hunting means something to everyone. It does. Yeah. Yep. And, and, and they say they, they will never get involved in any of the ungulate issues at all. Deer hunting, elk hunting, whatever. You know, they're against hunting, but they're not going to get involved in it. I don't believe that. I mean, I think they just, they just want to get to predator hunting first and then get through predator hunting first. And then what would be the logical next step for them? I mean, they're going to, they got to continue to make money. They got to have something to fight for. And they are just a big business. Honestly, that's really what it is. Oh, and because, they're, because so many people subscribe to the, the ecosystem balance theory, if, if there's no more predator hunting allowed, if you can't shoot anything with a, with a canine tooth, then they could, come out and pitch, Hey, we don't need to, to hunt ungulates anymore because the predators are going to do that. 
Um, and that's how we'll achieve balance in the ecosystem, which is flawed. Um, it, it's so incredibly flawed because we have an impact on our ecosystem um, as, as humans. And we've, we've restricted um, migration corridors. We've been impacting animals in North America for at least 14,000 years through extinction level events as, as homo sapiens, as modern humans, we've been doing that. So there's nothing new about that. It's just, it's a constantly changing thing, but I could definitely see the humane society of the U S pitching it in those terms. If they were able to get rid of bear hunting, bobcat hunting, cougar hunting, coyote hunting, you know, whatever it is. I met somebody who was advocating for banning coyote hunting competitions uh, in Oregon from HSUS. And I was really happy to sit down and, and talk with that person and, and understand their perspective and then kind of talk about my perspective as well. After I'd heard them, they wouldn't even look at me, wouldn't even shake my hand. Like they're, they're uninterested. And I don't think that that's the way to go about it. I think that me and that person would probably agree on 95% of everything. So if we can start with that, like, let's, let's figure out what that 5% is like, and then and let's talk about it a little bit. Cause there's probably something that we can both learn from each other. And we definitely have to keep an open mind about that stuff uh, as hunters, as we're advocating for these issues, you know, people want to be heard. Um, and while that's what you are enabling with Howl for hunters, you're enabling hunters to be heard. Um, we need to work on our, on our listening skills as well. So we can understand what the, the adversarial point is um, as much as anything, but I think it also just helps build relationships. If, if people can ensure that, that they're both speaking and being listened to. I think we can certainly build relationships. Um, I know, but I, of course we can. And, and you're right. I think most people probably agree on 95% of everything, but it's that darn 5%, you know, whatever the it's issue sticky. is, that's, yeah. that's just the major separation and human beings these days, basically. And there's plenty of real estate there within that margin <laughs> to be deal breakers. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. 100%. Yeah. You know, one thing it, I, there's gotta be, okay. So trophy hunting, the way that trophy hunting is defined. So the humane society has their definition and there, there was a lady who kind of, she got upset in the meeting. I think she left because the commission specifically, because so many hunters were addressing what trophy, the trophy hunting issue and, and how they were defining it. And so many hunters were saying, listen, I eat bear meat. I, you know, this is what we do with our bear meat. This is what we do with the hide. This is what we do with, with, um, you know, the oil from, from the fat and so on and so forth. So the commission specifically, this was interesting, it specifically asked us to stand back up because they had some additional questions about trophy hunting, which number one, it's illegal because there's, there's wanton waste right. laws in California. So, and in most states, I don't know if it's all states, but in most states there is anyway. So we got a chance to kind of reply to the commission about that and, and get some clarity there because so much of the humane society's petition was, you know, we're just doing it for the pictures and we're just doing it for the head, which, all right, maybe I can, I can appreciate somebody that doesn't know saying that. However, 
once we tell you this, 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 and this, how that's not true, and we show you how that's not true, and um, we present to you how that's not true, and we also show you how it's, it's also illegal to, to, to do what, what it is that you're stating, there's got to be some on that side that say, wow, I didn't know you could actually eat bear. I know that's a fact because there's not generally big game hunters, but maybe some, there's hunters, there's people who support hunting who have no idea that you could eat bear still. Yeah. So of course, if there's some on our side that think that way, well, definitely on their side, they've just been told one thing and, and, and that's it. And you know, I, I think that's how it works. You know, I think the majority of Americans probably think that PETA is a, a fringe organization. Mm. However, PETA has done a really fantastic job at marketing their message to the mainstream. So to a lot of people, to the 80% swing vote out there who are just non-hunting public neutral, you know, they don't feel any, any way about anything. They've only been shown probably one one or two things about hunting and it's probably been negative you know and they're like ah whatever they maybe they care maybe they don't care but they've been shown what pete has shown them you know right and you throw up a couple pictures and here's an infographic and there's hunting for you what drives me crazy is why don't we have an organization that can throw up a couple pictures and put some awesome stuff on there and how much how much money comes from you know, tag sales or whatnot and what that goes to, or, or all the meat, like the metric ton of meat that's provided through people hunting wild game and actually how many plates on, on dinner tables that's providing there's, there's this great info. I mean, we have science, we have data, we have, you know, all of that. Why aren't we trying to throw that into the mix to the non-hunting public to get a few of them to either say, huh, I've never seen that perspective before. Where do I find out more about that? Wow, you can eat bear meat? I didn't know that. Wow, hunters hunters are, are maybe you can answer this. This is one thing I've been told recently is that if, if hunters, if hunting stopped, so if we didn't, if we, didn't, if we weren't all eating wild game, the, however many of us eat wild game, mm-hmm. would the beef industry be able to handle that, that change? Yeah. That's a good question. I've been hearing that a lot. I'm like, really? Is it, is it that much? And maybe I don't, I mean, I've gone for years where, I mean, I like, I don't raise my own chickens. I, I did, or my family did in Michigan, but here in California, I've gone for years. Um, I have no idea the last time I bought red meat. Yeah. Cause I, I have pork, I, I kill a lot of pigs and I kill a lot of deer or elk or whatever bear. So yeah, I eat a lot of wild game. I, and I imagine there's some plenty of other people who do too. What effect would that have if we took that away? And I've, I've been seeing some stats lately. Is that really true that the cattle industry, whatever, wouldn't be able to handle that, that change? I, I don't we, know. Right now, we already can't handle um, the amount of beef consumed in the country, even okay. though that amount is going down. But uh, the inventory, the, the national herd, if you will, is incredibly low right now. It's incredibly low and I don't have hard numbers on it. Although I, yeah. I did just talk about this a couple of weeks ago. Um, but without foreign beef, we wouldn't be able to meet the beef needs of Americans right now. We are eating about 30 pounds of beef less per person per year 
than we did in the 1970s. And there seems to be a direct correlation between um, health and beauty and beef consumption. And the more beef a country consumes, the more of those things they have. Uh, hmm. And if you, I, I won't even give you the answer, but if you figure out which country in the world consumes the most beef, just take a look at the people and, uh, and you can draw your own conclusions from that. But that's, that's, that's kind of a, a sidebar subject. Yeah. Well, yeah, it, you understand it, I'm saying there's, I, there's, I, I, I totally understand. And you why know, don't we that, dip into that pool? Totally. But we also don't have enough wildlife to feed everybody. Oh yeah. No, I mean, I'm not, I'm definitely not suggesting that. I don't even want new hunters. <laughs> I don't want any more hunters. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I just want more yeah. people to support hunting. Yeah. I don't want new hunters. Yeah. Or, or understand that maybe that they don't have enough information to have the strength of the opinion that they have. And I, I don't know if that's just something that comes with like comfort with yourself or, or maturity or maybe getting outside of an echo chamber, but you know, there's, I posted something the other day about these turkeys and deer, white-tailed deer in Hell's Canyon. And they're both invasive species they are not native. Um, and they're taking up the niche of native mule deer that are absolutely heading towards extirpation, um, coming soon. And, uh, yeah, people, people were all kind of fuzzed up about calling something an invasive species that clearly was mm -hmm. i don't know it's it's fascinating how feelings can so quickly get in the way because it's a deer man I yeah mean, yeah it's just yeah it, it is what it is people get people get emotional about a variety of of subjects um i mean i i can't explain to you why i used to feel i've been hunting all my life but i'd never had any desire to kill coyotes and I never had any desire to kill bear until I just had different experiences, um, while hunting. Um, I was charged by a black bear while I was blacktail hunting and I thought it, I could hear something walking. I had just seen a buck, a blacktail buck, and I could hear something walking through the leaves and, um, it was just over the top of this hill. I'm like, Oh, here comes this buck. I'm getting ready. <laughs> I think I'm like behind a big giant redwood stump or something. And, and I'm looking and I'm like, what is that? Yeah. I'm just waiting for this buck that I had just seen. And here comes the sow. She's maybe 25 yards away. I had my GoPro on too. And then two cubs run out right past me. I mean, ran towards me. They didn't know I was there. And, uh, I kind of just like jump back Well, she sees me and takes off after like one of the cubs sort of just ran right, right past me. And one of the cubs climbs the tree right next to me. And, uh, so I'm backing out behind me was a big drop off or something. So I'm trying to back out into this open field. And I think she's trying to figure out where this other cub went, the one that climbed the tree. And then she just starts bluff charging me over. I mean, and I'm walking backwards, just yelling at this thing. And I just have my bow and arrow <laughs> and I finally get out to the open field. She comes to the edge and, um, she's just, oh, oh, you know, and running and stopping, running and stopping. I've never been so jacked up in my life. I mean, just, and, and that entire night, 
when I got back to my tent, I couldn't sleep. It was just every, every little thing I heard. It wasn't like I was consciously like, oh man, she's going to come after me. I'm like, that's stupid. You know I mean? She's not coming after me. I was just, I don't know if I've ever been that scared. I don't know if I've ever been in a position like that where I might get mauled to death by a bear. I might get in a fight with a bear and that bear is probably going to win. You know, I'm going to get hurt at the very, you know what I mean? But you have a wild animal like that. I, I was just, you know, skyrocketed with, with adrenaline. So it got me more interested in bear. Yeah. I'm like, you know, I don't know what it is. I want to start hunting bear. Not like I'm going to get, not because I'm like, I want to get back at the bear. Sure. I just want to learn more about bear and what better way to learn about bear than to start hunting bear. Right. Yeah. And then with coyote, I think it was just, it was just seeing too many coyotes sometime. Yeah. You know, um, seeing a, a, some effects, seeing a bunch of dead, a bunch of dead Turkey and nesting areas and things like different places I hunted. I'm like, all right. Cause you know, I mean, Hey, I, I can, I look at a coyote. And I'm like, it kind of looks like my dog. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. What do I want to kill a coyote for? But I've changed the way I've thought, you know, it used to just kill me if I lost an animal, if I shot an animal and I couldn't find it, I would take it almost too far. I took it almost personally. And then I came to a point where I'm like, you know, I'm going to do everything I can to find the animal. But if I don't, this is pretty natural for that animal. Honestly, like something's, something's always trying to kill a deer, you know, and sometimes they get it. Sometimes they don't. Um, Sometimes they get a big scratch on their side from if they, if they escaped a mountain lion or whatever, or, you know, they get hung up on barbed wire fences or diseases, you name it. Something's happening to them. And if I can't find this animal, well, something else is definitely going to, if that animal ends up dying, something else is going to eat that animal. And that's just the way it works. I just didn't get to eat it. And from a thousand feet in the air, that's just biomass in the carbon cycle, just like us. And if, if you think that, that indigenous people around the world got every animal that they ever flung a spear or an arrow or, or a rock at, you are out of your mind. Yeah. Um, this has always been part of the game. It has always been part of how we live and it's how part of these scavengers live. Um, it's part of the process and yeah, losing an animal is a terrible thing. It sucks and it hurts. It hurts you emotionally. Um, and for some people they quit hunting or they'll never hunt with that particular weapon again, but it, it is something that happens. Um, it's not always just a, a, a clean shot and a quick kill. So yeah, it, it is something that, that I think we need to talk more about. We shouldn't take it lightly, but we should understand that, that this is something that can and does occur. Yeah. A hundred percent. I, I, I love, I don't know if it's just as, you know, as you get more experience or as you get older and I just start talking to different people and different perspectives and, and, and different angles. I don't know. This might sound kind of sound kind of crazy, but you know, back to the bear thing. I realize bear are are certainly special, and they always have been, and they have been to Native Americans and different indigenous people. They're always they're like a more of a a spirit animal kind of a thing. But I look at animals, and I honestly I question, you know, like, well, what's why do I think there's a difference between this animal and this animal? Yeah, and even further, if it's a living being, why do I think 
why do I think there's a difference between an insect and an animal? I mean, the reasons why is because we put, I think we put humanity on things and we have certain things we can relate to, you know, because of our own humanity. Um, but I think you either, you either realize, um, to me, what, what I think the natural world is, and you realize that humans are a part of that or you don't. And, and I think it's, 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 if you have a view of the world where humans sort of came here as visitors to this animal planet and, you know, they were here first kind of a thing and, and we're kind of invaders or whatnot, aliens, you know, visiting this. And then now we're going to try and take over all that. Well, I, I think that's kind of nonsense. Um, I mean, there's two sides either for people who believe in God, the God of the Bible or of the Quran or, or whatever, I'm pretty sure hunting is, is a part of that. So, you know, you would, you would believe that hunting is okay. Right. But if you believe in just the talk and generalizations, if you believe in, you know, evolution where humans are an animal, <laughs> so then what, where's the intellectual discussion here? Like, what are we, it's, it's, it's okay for a wolf to go hunt down and kill this animal, but me as an animal, I can't go hunt down and kill this animal. Like, why not? Why can't I? What's the, what's the big difference there? Yeah. Cause you, you know, unless, unless everybody's, I don't even know what religion it would be or whatever, but I mean, who, who really thinks we're an alien that came from a different place? And we're just, I mean, do you understand what I'm saying? I just, I just don't understand the argument sometimes. And I like this. It helps me to break things down to really simple um, forms like that to just tell myself, all right, we're just, we got to cut out all the nonsense here. Let's start with, let's start with something that makes people like think like, God, why is it that I think this way? Yeah. Do I believe I'm an animal? Do I believe I came from an animal or do I, you know, do I believe in, in um, sort of an, an inalienable right or whatnot from God or however, however you take that. I think it's a good, I think it's a good, it's a good debate. You know, it's a good question to have a good thing to talk about. People do put different values on different species based on how valuable they are to them and whether that value is tangible or economic or emotional. Uh, The mountain whitefish is a really good example of that. Right. So that's a fish that is, is common throughout trout streams all over the West. And they're a salmonid meaning that they're in the same group as uh, trout, salmon, and steelhead, uh, same family, shouldn't say group. And uh, yeah, a lot of times it's the biggest fish you catch in the day. They're happy to eat a fly. They fight like hell, but they've got this little mouth and it kind of points a little bit down. So people think that they're a sucker and then they start to make up lies about them. They say, oh, they don't taste good. They're really bony. Well, they have an identical bone structure to that trout that you're so fancy about. And there are only fish that's never been through a hatchery program. Like they're a legit native species that hasn't been tampered with. They don't tolerate pollution. So if you find them, you're in a nice clean waterway. The the Rocky Mountain whitefish is an incredible species and they're great table fare, but people have all kinds of feelings about them and it leads them to thinking and believing the wrong thing. When just a scrap of research or even intuition would would lead them closer to the truth 
Um, and I'm guilty of that too. You know, I'll, I'll place a value uh, on a mule deer over a whitetail deer in this area where mule deer are native and whitetail are not. Is that, is that appropriate? Hard to say, you know, maybe mule deer's time is just up and they're on their way out and conditions have changed. And, you know, we shouldn't, we shouldn't be, you know, working so hard to keep them out of the grave. Or maybe we say, yeah, this is the hill I want to die on. And I'm going to, I'm going to fight for mule deer for the rest of my life. But how we value these things is really important. Anthropomorphizing is a problem. We shouldn't treat animals like they're people and and give them people, human emotions and characteristics. Uh, that's that's a really really big issue. And like you talked about, I think a lot of people when they see a coyote or a wolf, they see their dog, or they see a mountain lion or a bobcat, and they see their cat. It, it's nuts to think that a bear in the wild is the same as a teddy bear in a crib. It's nuts to think that your, you know, Siberian Husky is the same thing as a wolf. They're, they're really, really different. And by not acknowledging those differences, you know, you're, you're starting off in the wrong place to think about the complexities of these ecosystems and environments and how, how the species interact in them and, and what our role is. So not asking everybody to be a wildlife biologist, but I am asking them to think it through a little bit before they say, say what they're thinking. Yeah. So, you know, back, I guess, back more to Howl and, and what it is that we're doing. Um, I, we have some biologists now who are providing content um, and also helping to write actions. That's great. And helping to write uh, the, the emails as well. But written in a way that's not necessarily from a biologist it's just like hey you guys understand all this but you need to package this so first of all we want the hunters to to understand i had a great conversation about trapping yesterday i'm like you know what i've never trapped a day in my life i don't know anything about it you ever trapped a mouse i am well i have trapped a mouse here okay so this this is something (laughs) worth talking about yeah People have all kinds of feelings about trapping coyotes or beavers or whatever. Anything, any trapping. Yeah. But mouse trapping, (laughs) everybody can get on board with mouse trapping. Yeah. Or at least enough people that, you know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Yep. Because mice affect everybody. So they're like, yeah, fine. Hell with that mouse. If can you imagine if you removed mice from the ecosystem, everything else would crash. We got to have mice. They're really, really important. Yeah. But we don't feel bad about trapping them. Right. No, we don't. Because they get in your frosted flakes. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, the, exactly. So, hunters need to be able to. What I want to do is, you know, if, if somebody came up to you on the street and they asked you about bear hunting or trapping or coyote hunting, whatever, be able to defend that on the street with something logical yeah. that makes sense to say. Not that that person has to agree with it, but go beyond well this is just what i've always done and that's what it is for me i didn't think i thought there was a time period in my life where i thought i didn't know people didn't um i didn't know that they uh that there was people who didn't hunt right right so obviously when i was when i was a kid so i want to be able to go beyond well i just hunt and this is what i've done and and i don't really think about why i do it or why this is necessary or 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 this or that so the conversation I had yesterday was, you know, can we write 
these up in a way where a the hunter is getting educated but b because we really want non-hunters to start getting involved and we have a few of them now where they can come and learn about it as well and not that they have to become a hunter but oh i get this now i get why this is necessary and with trapping like what does that do to nesting birds how does that affect nesting birds and diseases and all these things stuff that if i'm not doing it if i'm not you know interested in it i'm not going to know anything about it yeah you know so but it it i think it's time for the the world of hunting um all the people that are in it we need to streamline our voice a little bit and for once kind of be on the same side when it comes to certain issues you know we can argue around the campfire about this or that or this type of hunting versus this type of hunting but there is a very well organized attack on hunting and they've got quite a bit of money and they always have us on our heels yeah. in all these different states and it's been going on for a long time and if we don't come together educate ourselves work together put our money where our mouths are we might just be talking about how we used to hunt in the yeah. future and if yeah. and if they do back to your point about predator if if let's just say all predator hunting was was banned well what effect is that going to have on the ungulate populations and would we as hunters get to the point where we say i don't know how long this would take but would we get to the point where we say you know the ungulate populations can't um can't support us hunting them anymore because there's you know 90,000 mountain lions out there and whatever else and we're, we're we're already we're already there in Oregon there's a huge number of people in Oregon who refuse to hunt mule deer anymore because the state is putting out more tags in each unit than there are bucks in each unit i just read that like 2.5 tags per per buck or deer something it was yeah. something like that i just read that yeah it, it, it's nuts it's absolute bonkers and there's a lot of guys um and i i started a group here years ago for this specific problem that just decided no we're not going to hunt muleys anymore but yeah i i think that that there's a lot of people that are willing to drink the last sip of the milkshake um but there's a lot of people that look at it and go, no, no, I'm not going to continue contributing to that problem. That doesn't necessarily mean that through their passivity that they're working on the solution. They're just no longer being part of the problem. So for those people, I would highly encourage them and for everybody else to uh, go check out how for wildlife, where, the, where can they find you? The website's howforwildlife.org. We also have howl.org because a lot of people have just been saying howl so we've nice. got that url as well um strong work instagram is is uh is howl underscore org and basically everything that you see on facebook and i, I guess there's twitter too um which is different now um it, that's just a everything everything starts with instagram and it just goes out to facebook yeah. or twitter so instagram is where we're doing the the uh the most work for sure and are you howling for fish and birds as well? Yes. Um, 100%. Yeah. So, uh, so if, if you're, if, if you're into outdoor recreation, you need to check this out. If you are into outdoor. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. and when we have more staff, 
I can just only tackle so many issues. Um, you know, so I've been, uh, kind of trying to pick the hot button issues, I guess. Um, and, and, and ones where, where I feel like we can actually do something about it. There has to be decision makers. There's a lot of kind of alarms going off about stuff, but it's just, you know, or almost like a rumor or something. It's like, well, wait, nobody's voting on this. Nobody, there's nothing that can be done. I mean, we can go chase ghosts around, but a lot of these issues, people email me all day long, like, Hey, I saw this on this guy's website or this company's website. How come you guys aren't involved? Cause there's nothing to be done. It's just, you know, some yeah. Anna hunting org said, this is what we want to do. There's no bill. There's no, right. <laughs> there's nothing. Yeah. So it's a, it's, it's politics, I guess. So, yeah. well, man, I appreciate what you're doing. I appreciate your time. Yeah. Sincerely. I sincerely appreciate what you're doing. And uh, thank you. Yeah. I encourage people to at a minimum go to healthforwildlife.org and see if this is your kind of thing. It's free. Yeah. Also. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. All right, sir. <laughs> thanks. Well, man. thanks again. And uh, yeah, folks, there's links to all this stuff in the podcast description. And uh, yeah, really encourage you to do it. But Charles, thank you so much for your time. And I'll uh, catch you next time. I appreciate it. Thank you. So I found this old ad and there's like dudes dressed up like construction workers and a guy's got a jackhammer and there's a crane and, you know, they're moving all these big steel beams and stuff. Aladdin Stanley Thermos. Stanley, the tough, all steel thermos bottle that's completely dependable. They're showing this thermos like falling off this building and hitting all this other construction stuff. Built to take a bounding year after year. <laughs> Get the top one. Oh, lands in the wheelbarrow. The guy grabs it out of the wheelbarrow. Now he's going to pour himself a cup of coffee. I love these cheesy old ads. And most of the time, like, they're lying to us, right? That's most of what marketing used to be was just like telling a lie or, or at least telling a version of a lie that, that made you think that you needed this thing. But I'll tell you what, when it's cold out like it is right now, the only way to keep liquid liquid and not freezing in your pack is by putting it in something that's insulated. So packing a thermos in the wintertime is really smart, whether it's for a hot beverage like coffee or if you just want to bring some water with you, which is a really important thing if you're going to be out adventuring around in this uh, in this snow that we've got all over the country. And I think you should be because it's a great time of year to get out and about. You know, this is both a comfort and a safety thing. If you want to get something from Stanley, which I encourage you to do, you can use the discount code 6RANCH. That's the number 6 in the word ranch. And that'll get you 25% off of just about anything on their website. I encourage you to do that. They're great supporters of the show and uh, great supporters of this audience. And I love you guys. So stay warm out there. Have a nice warm drink. And uh, make sure you're drinking it out of a Stanley product. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share the show with a friend. You can also rate the podcast and leave a review. Your support allows me to keep doing what I love, which is meeting incredible folks and sharing their stories with you. For more content and photos, follow the show on Instagram at Six Ranch Podcast or me at Six Ranch Outfitters. This episode was produced by Emily Brannigan with original music written and performed by Justin Hay. Art for the Six Ranch Podcast 
was created by John Chatelain and digitized by Celia Christofferson. Tune in every Monday for a brand new episode of the Six Ranch Podcast. I'll catch you next week.